HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, sharing nothing but the best in whole grain nutrition and committed to their mission of good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member now. Hey there, TechBite listeners. We have something very special coming up today. An episode of The B-Side and Fighting Foodies. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners. I'm Jennifer Leuzzi, and typically this is the time for Tech Bites. But today, as that music will tell you, we're going to talk about something a little bit different. Today, I'm joined by co-host Aaron Fairbanks, who you may know from the Farm Report. And today, we are doing another episode of our much-beloved project, The B-Side, where we talk to fighting foodies. Today, we are talking with some professional and competitive combat athletes about their food because food and fighting and how much you weigh is really important. So join us today on this episode of The B-Side on the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are drawing in listeners from 65 countries around the world, about a million strong, which is amazing. So hello, hello to the world out there. Today is June 29th in 2017, if you are listening in the future. So typically we have a lot of stuff that we do when we start off Tech Bites, which we're, we're not going to do here. So I think we'll just go around the room and introduce everyone so you can all put a voice to the name. Sitting across from me is Dana Minuta. She is a professional chef. She is also a 
competitive Brazilian jiu-jitsu athlete. Yes. <laughs> and if you're not quite sure what Brazilian jiu-jitsu is, that's the thing which is grappling. It's a lot of groundwork. It kind of looks like wrestling. And you're wearing a gi, which is that sort of kung fu karate pajama <laughs> outfit. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. Hello, everyone. Today's a, today's a good day. She's a little off today, and she's already trained a bunch of times, so she, we're going to have some pizza <laughs> four, four times this morning, to be exact. <laughs> so, so we'll, have, we'll have some pizza later. Also with us is Chris Romulo, Chris Crom Romulo. And if you are alive and participating in the New York City Muay Thai scene, you know his name. He is a professional Muay Thai fighter. He is a coach. He owns a gym in Rockaway, New York called Crom Physical Culture. Um, he's a recently published author. He just published a book, his autobiography about his journey through fighting and life. Um, he's got a lot of stuff going on. Um, so he's, he's here to talk to us about the professional side of the game as a fighter and also the side of the game as being a coach and a trainer. Thank you for having me, and it's an honor. Thanks. It's, ex it's exciting to see uh, people from the fights in the Roberta shipping container during the day. <laughs> I mean, this place is, I've, I've never been here before. It's super cool. I'm like, I'm losing focus right now, but I'll stay, I'll stay on track. Okay. I'm, I'm salivating already. So <laughs> thinking about pizza later. <laughs> we'll earn it. We'll earn it. And then my, my co-host, co-pilot, Unindicted co-conspirator, Aaron Fairbanks. <laughs> hey, Jen. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Pleasure to have you back. It's been a while since you've been on the show, this I show. Know, I know. You made it happen. Here we go. I'm excited. Lots of ground to cover today, guys. So fighting foodies. Um, everybody's really interested in being healthy and fit right now, and food factors into that a lot. I think our social media, our Instagram, the news is all about... Whole30, paleo, gluten-free, you know, vegan, pescatarian, you know, vegetarian after eight, you know, meatless Mondays, <laughs> all those kinds of things. I mean, there's really a lot to choose from, and there's a lot of opinion and a lot of point of view out there. Anybody who's athletic or practices a sport, who practices at a competition level, you're going to train and diet to get your body into the peak performance for your you know, race, triathlon, marathon, half marathon, you know, bike ride, whatever it's going to be. The specific thing about a combat sport is that fighting a lot of times is determined, the power in your body is determined by how much you weigh. So when we think about prize fighting, boxing, MMA, uh, Muay Thai, Jiu Jitsu, you fight against a competitor at an agreed upon weight. Because the bigger you are, the stronger you are. So if Dana and I are going to compete and we set the weight at 120 pounds, the idea <laughs> is that if we both weigh the same, it's a fair-ish fight because we're both kind of equal strength and equal power. Absolutely. So fighters agree to fight at a specific weight. There's an official weigh-in. You get on the scale. You have about a one-pound allowance either way. And if you don't make it, you can be penalized financially. You can be disqualified depends on the organization so it's a big it's a big deal and it's it's an important thing it it that does not exist in any other sport and the analogy that i love to use is michael phelps who's an amazing athlete who's famous for his 12,000 calorie a day diet 
Could you imagine if they had a scale next to the starting block and he had to get on the scale and weigh like 180 pounds before he got in the water? And then if he was over, he was disqualified? And do you think he'd be eating 12,000 calories a day if he had to hit a weight? Or, or Simone Biles or any of the amazing gymnasts she doesn't have to get on a scale and hit like 105 before she gets on the balance beam. I mean, obviously, the lighter she is, the higher she goes and all of that. But, you know, the power weight ratio and all of those kinds of things. So combat sports is very specific. We love talking about food. And I think that food and health and fitness is a really super popular topic right now. So we thought we would, you know, go to the B-side and, and talk to some pros and, and find out what's going on with that. I, I like to call it. You know, as far as like cut, you know, or making the weight class for for myself and for the fighters that I train at my gym, I, I like to call it the first fight. I mean, there's always two fights when you're going to battle. You know, the first fight is yeah, making the weight on the scale. So there there are different challenges when you're fighting the scale as opposed to fighting an opponent and uh, do you do you agree Dana? Absolutely yeah. I think uh, just knowing you know you're doing all this training and if you don't make weight you can't fight it just seems your entire fight camp is kind of down the toilet. Yeah. Can you guys talk about I mean for people who are less familiar like what is the difference between your walking around weight and your fighting weight and and what's the range between those two and is it different for men is it different for women? I think it's well it's different probably for Chris than it would be for me and jiu-jitsu particularly you know you you get on a scale and you get on a mat so it's not like Muay Thai or MMA where you weigh in the night before so you can completely deplete your body of of water say and weigh in a day before and then have 24 hours to regain that water weight and get yourself some energy. In jiu-jitsu, you don't have that luxury. You you step on a scale and you step on the mat, and if you've had to cut tons of water weight, you've got zero energy. Wow, I didn't know so that. So the difference <clears throat> you're talking about between Dana and Chris is not the male-female comparison, but it's the sport comparison. Right. In boxing, MMA, and Muay Thai, those weigh-ins usually happen 24 hours before the contest. In jiu-jitsu and judo wrestling, other sort of mat grappling sports, you weigh in the same day a few hours before the fight. So mm -hmm. that's really a big difference because, Chris, talk a little bit about the uh, philosophy of weighing in the day before, making that weight, and then what your actual weight is going to be the next day. Well, to actually contrast that thought a little bit, you know, back in the day when I was fighting as an amateur they it was the same it was the same process you were weighing in the night of so you basically had a couple hours before you you know jumped in the ring not not on the mat obviously and that that has changed over the years i i don't know why but now amateurs and pros are, are you know they're they're basically in the same process you know they have 24 hours to rehydrate and, and you know you know get the weight back up before they jump in the ring which i don't necessarily agree with for an amateur, you know, an amateur fighter, there's not as much at risk as, you know, as with a pro fighter who, who's obviously doing this for a living and doing this for, uh, you know, a nominal uh, paycheck as a Muay Thai fighter. But um, for me, myself, it was, yeah, it was always a challenge even up to, to my last fight, like, you know, figuring, you know, trying to experiment with what really worked you know, from bout to bout, from, you know, what was going on in your life at the time, you know, there's, there's other things that you, that, that's why I call it the first fight. That's, that's the battle, you know, because, you know, Muay Thai, professional Muay Thai fighters 
aren't making the purses that you know big name MMA and boxing fighters are making. So we still have to work a full time job, raise a family, whatever you've got going on in your life, and you have to deal with that, you know, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. So uh, for me, it, it, it was it was always a challenge. And like I said, up until my last fight, like trying to figure out what worked for me was 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 um, you know always you know the battle. So both of you made reference to water weight and hydration and hydrating. Um, and I just took a big, giant sip of water, um, remembering, <laughs> to stay, <laughs> remembering to stay hydrated. Um, you know, a lot of times when people are losing weight or on a diet just in, in regular life, you can make a change and lose a, a lot of weight quickly. And then oftentimes that's dismissed as just being water weight. Mm-hmm. So talk to us a little bit about you know, in the composition of your body and the body weight, when we're talking about what, what actually are you losing, how are you doing that, and describe a little bit what this water weight dehydrating thing is that you're talking about. Um, well, I think, um, you know, when, when, you, when you get really close to your weight, first of all, it's, it's going to be different, again, with jiu-jitsu versus MMA right. and everything else. Well, and actually, this is a good point to <clears throat> answer Aaron's question about what's the difference between walk around weight and fight weight let's start there so i don't really know how it works with with muay thai i don't know if there's a certain formula that you know you say you weigh 180 and you decide you're going to fight at 155 i mean for me that just seems so absurd but i can tell you that when i was my first jiu-jitsu tournament i was walking around at about i think i was about 165 and uh i decided i wanted to compete and i knew that i'd be training a lot so i would naturally lose the weight just with the extra work and i would be more mindful of what i was putting into my body as opposed to you know cupcakes every day um so you know i said okay i usually end up losing 10 to 12 pounds and then you have certain weight brackets so i said all right i'm gonna i'm gonna do the 147 bracket i can definitely do this i've got seven weeks so i took seven weeks to change my diet to change my exercise plan so i didn't have to cut water weight i mean i was uh, two pounds to 147 the week before. And I started, I'm fine. I'll just start eating normally and, um, and I'll walk on the mat and be okay with that. Um, but there was one instance where I did end up having to cut a ton of water weight, you know, with women, it can be a little different because depending on where you are in your cycle, um, you know, I was surprised with mine a week early. (laughs) And so I went to bed and literally within four hours, I got up, went to the bathroom, stepped on the scale, I was five pounds over and I was fighting the next day. I was like, my God, you got to be kidding me. So, of course, you know, I go out to, to Walgreens and I buy some water pills and I start running with tons of sweats on. And I mean, I lost nine pounds from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. when I had to actually get on the mat. Wow. And I was dehydrated. I had no energy. Um, I mean, literally, I got this, this girl kind of snapped me down into a guillotine, and all I remember is spinning, and I felt like I was on, you know, the tilt-a-whirl. <laughs> and, um, and I got submitted. I got submitted by armbar, and I tried three different escapes simultaneously, and I lost miserably. And so that's when I decided I won't ever try to compete again unless I am, you know, within two pounds of that weight or at the weight the week before, because in, in IBJJF, you have, that's the International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation, you have a week to change your weight class where, you know, I don't believe you have that with, um, with Muay Thai or MMA. No, Muay Thai, you're usually, you, you, there's a match between you and an opponent and you agree to fight at a weight. Okay. So you could maybe, depending on the situation, 
you know, reach out, have your coach? How, how do you deal if somebody wants to change weight for yourself or one of your fighters? During the fight camp? Yeah. No, it doesn't happen. <laughs> there's, there's no option. There's, there's no, like, there's hey, no do you option. think we could move it up from 120 to 122? No, there's no option. No. Once you make, I mean, it, from, from me, I, I spent my entire career, except maybe for one fight as an amateur, my entire career based on, you know, doing what I said I was going to do. If I said I was going to fight at 165, which I fought my entire career at 165, if I was going to fight at 165, I was going to make the weight if, even if I had to lose a limb or something, you know? The professional. Luckily, I didn't, so. Pro- got all the limbs. Yeah, got all, I got the d- limbs. Double checking yeah. here. Yeah. 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 All the limbs p- plus a beard. So I don't know how much, you know, a couple extra ounces that, you uh, got That adds to my walk-around weight. Yeah, though. exactly. <laughs> well, professional... Uh, Muay Thai, professional boxers, um, also professional <laughs> MMA, you sign a fight contract with your opponent at an agreed-upon weight. So that becomes then a contractual obligation. Correct. And then the overage or underage that maybe it's usually about a pound is is prescribed in the contract also. Correct. Correct. So where does the water weight come from? Explain to us the water weight thing versus just losing weight I mean, I think the average person, when they get on the scale, if it's going down, they just we just think about it as weight. Well, I, I consider... Erin's nodding vigorously. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she also has her pen and notebook out. I think I'm she's like, getting ready to take some notes. Uh, well, I put on a little weight this fall, and it's not coming off, so I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> well, I, I think water weight... That's that's the cutting process. You know, we all all of us here carry anywhere from I would say ten to twenty pounds of water just, you know, from being hydrated. Hopefully, we're all you know hydrated, right? But, you know, sometimes I think there's that confusion when it comes to combat sports. What is cutting weight? Is it losing the weight through training, or is it the actual dehydrating of your body anywhere between twenty four and forty eight hours before the actual weigh in? So the cutting or the water weight is what you want to do to to make that first, to you know complete that first or win that first fight, right? You want to dehydrate your body to the point where now you're at what we call it a dry weight, you know, and or or your fighting weight. And I think you know obviously there's dangers to that because if you don't have enough time to rehydrate, you're not able to perform at your best. You you. You won the first fight technically by getting on the scale and making the the agreed or contractual weight, but now you're not you're not ready to perform because you don't have enough time. But luckily, again, for you know professional Muay Thai, MMA boxers, and even amateur Muay Thai fighters, now we have 24 hours to you know put the water back in the body, get hydrated, put that cushioning around the brain where you know when you're getting hit, your your brain's not bouncing around in a dry skull, you know, because I mean literally that's what's going on. Mm. You know? I don't well, like that visual. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> well and I, I think you know I think something that I realized during my very first process, I worked with PJ um, like man quite a bit who was you know instrumental in helping me do this. Who's a Muay Thai cut. coach right at Henzo Gracie Academy, which is where Dana trains out of. And he's fairly notorious, from what I understand, for being able to cut drastic amounts of weight in just a couple of little days. So, you know, the idea of, you know, a few days before your fight, you're not eating any salt. You're, um, you're drinking, you know, minimal water, uh, the vegetables. You're, you're basically on a, a diet of lean protein and, and vegetables and mostly leafy green vegetables. But, you know, broccoli and cauliflower, you know, they're not considered free. Any other green vegetable, according to this program, is considered a free 
like free calories basically. So you can eat all of the spinach you want, but if you're having broccoli or cauliflower, that kind of adds to your calories. Um, but then everything has to be unsalted because the salt is going to make you retain weight. Um, so you retain know, what P- water. Or sorry, that's what I mean, retain water. Um, and so what PJ had had told me, he said they had all these different weight cutting techniques of you know they take the packets from the. Um, called the ramen noodles and sit in a bath of that and um you know it pulls all the extra water out of the body and, that's new you know, i've never heard of that sitting, gotta... sitting, sitting in a sauna you know with the abilene with the, yeah with the abilene you <laughs> yeah. know scraping yourself with a credit card to get all the sweat off oh, I mean, these are all new techniques i've got the I've abilene got a, one I, I know about the abilene i don't know about the credit card i've got a or like a playing card to just as you start to that's sweat, that's so. new that must be some updated stuff yeah and we sat in the sauna and we literally squeegeed ourselves to make <laughs> yeah. sure the extra sweat was off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, weight is a really funny thing. And I think um, it, but it really does matter when you're in a, in a fighting sport. Um, although it doesn't make sense to me. There's the one thing that I don't understand. Maybe you guys can explain it is, you know, you have two fighters who are basically walking around at 180. Why can't they just fight at 180? Why do they both have to weigh That's in at 155? <laughs> I think things are moving towards less extreme weight cuts, and, and maybe Chris can speak to that. But they're not necessarily both at 180 walking around. You can have someone who's at 190 or 200 walking around and has a body where they can really cut weight, and they're going to fight at 168. Mm. But the person they're fighting against could be walking around at 170 or 175. So by the time they all rehydrate, you know, fighter A is a lot bigger than fighter B when they get into the ring and size equals power. So it becomes this weird competitive edge of people think if they can get lower and fight someone who's smaller, then they feel like they have an advantage. Mm. But before we go a little bit further, I just want to make sort of a general, you know, sort of disclaimer and, and thoughtful point. You know, we're talking very cavalierly about like dieting and sweating down pounds and getting to dry weight and things like that. You know, Chris is a professional fighter. He is a professional coach. These are not things that we're suggesting that anybody do. We're not suggesting that you go into the sauna and sweat for, you know, a couple hours and lose 20 pounds or, you know, experiment with extreme dieting and things like that. These are all things that people, um, uh, you know, Dana and Chris are doing as professionals or with the assistance of professionals. So, um, you know, it sounds maybe easy and we're, you know, having a casual conversation about it, but this is not uh, a how-to instruction method or an encouragement to anybody to go and, you know, dehydrate and dry themselves out. Not at all, especially if it, if your goal is just fitness-based. You know, this is, again, this is more for combat sports and, and you know, you know, learning how to... It's an art. I, I believe it's an art. You know, the the art of weight cutting, which plays into learning the art of the actual skill of either BJJ or, or Muay Thai. So when you when you said how come, you know, when 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 you asked how come guys don't just say all right, we'll agree to fight at 180. You know, I mean, again, I don't necessarily agree with people cutting 20 pounds of water. But, you know, again, it, it plays back into who's more skilled at the strategy of you know, the weight cut, the fight, and everything combined it. So it, it is the art of war, honestly. And the recovery process And the recovery well. process, yeah, that, yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, and, you know, and, and here's the thing that I kind of witnessed, especially being at the academy, and I look at people like Caitlin Chukagian, who's now with the UFC, 
Um, she used to have to blonde cut fighter. Blonde fighter. Yep. Uh, she would cut to one fifteen for her fights. Now, as a female fighter, what does she walk around at? I think she walks around at about 140, 135, okay. 140. Mm-hmm. Um, but for her to find fights in mixed martial arts as a female, I mean, she didn't really have a choice but to cut down to 115 because there was no one else in her division. Um, but I noticed a, a, a drastic change that she made over the last couple of years in cutting weight where when she first started, she was eating a lot of artificial stuff. You know, it was like everything was very calorie-based. It was protein powder. It was... And I feel like that stuff leaves people feeling hungry. I really like this sort of newer philosophy of of cutting weight and not even cutting weight, just being healthier where, you know, I, I see fighters coming in now with their prepackaged meals and they have like a, a, a few strawberries or they have you know, their blueberries or their lean protein. You know, people are eating real food now, which I think is really important because I don't know how you can expect to be at optimal performance if you're eating fake food. That's a great point and a great um <clears throat> A great thought that we'll pick up right after the break. Eating real food, not fake food. Listening to real food radio, not fake food radio. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to take a little break right now and hear from our sponsors who uh, help us keep real food radio on the airwaves. Stay with us. milling whole grains since 1978. When you mill whole grains, you get all three parts, the bran, the germ, and the endosperm. The bran, or the roughage, makes up about 14% of the whole grain. It's the outer skin of the edible kernel. It contains large amounts of B vitamins, some protein, trace minerals, phytochemicals, but most importantly, dietary fiber. The germ is only about 2.5% of the kernel. It's actually the sprouting section of the seed, what's going to grow into a plant. It's usually separated during milling process because it contains most of the fat and therefore has a shorter shelf life. The endosperm is the main energy storage unit of the seed. That's where the growing plant gets its energy before it can start photosynthesizing and making its own. It makes up a huge portion of the grain, about 83%, and it's the main source that's used for white flour. When you make white flour, you get rid of the germ and the bran and just have the white endosperm left. It contains almost all the carbohydrates. It also contains protein and iron and some of the other B vitamins as well. It's kind of what you classically think of when you're thinking of flour. So all that's there when you're milling with whole grains, but when you mill with whole grains, you also get the bran, which is the kind of roughage and gives that, that's what gives that, that kind of color to it. Also gives you extra fiber that uh, helps you to be regular. And you also get the germ, which adds the fat and the flavor, which we all like from whole grains. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. Hi, I'm Sam Ben Ruby, host of the Grape Nation on Heritage Radio Network. Tune in every Wednesday at 6 p.m. to hear some of the best people in wine tell you about what's going on in the world of wine. Support my show and all of Heritage Radio Network's programming. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. All right, we are back. You, of course, are listening to a special episode from Heritage Radio Network, the Fighting Foodies B-Side. 
Um, we were talking a little bit before the break about, and thank you for making it through that break, <laughs> um, about eating real food. And one of the things uh, that really came up for me when I was training Muay Thai was as someone who like felt like they knew a lot about food, I was so surprised by how much I still had to change uh, the timing of my diet, the amount of food I was eating to feel good uh, training. So, Dana, you're a chef. You work with uh, clients who are also athletes. You're an athlete Mm -hmm. yourself. Can you talk a little bit about um, what are some of the things that you've learned um, for yourself, for your clients that work well when you're eating for uh, performance, for training, not as a professional, just as someone who, like, wants to walk around feeling good and and train hard because they love it? I think most importantly, the source of your food has to be a good source. You know, um, you know, we came from this this idea that oh, I'm going to train and I'm going to have some protein powder. Well, why don't you just have an egg? You know, or if you're concerned with your calories, okay, have your egg whites. But I, I still think eggs should be in whole, just for the record. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> we need fat. Good Agreed. fats. Good, good fats. fats. Yes. Yep. Um, you know, I, I think that my clients. I mean, I'm I'm a private chef, and so I you know I cook for you know very wealthy people. Um, and, uh, they want to eat real food and they want to be healthy. And, you know, I would have to say a lot of my clients are almost to the level of professional athletes, even though it's not what they do for a living. I mean, these people train hard, they work hard and they need their brains to be really intact even after all the training they do. Yeah. And you just can't get there with fake food. You know, there's so many processed foods on the market now and they're geared toward athletes and they're geared toward, you know, people losing weight. Um, but if you look at the ingredients in them, it's like the second ingredient is some form of sugar or, you know, it, it's ingredients you can't pronounce. So I don't know how people can really expect to have optimal performance when you can't even pronounce the words in the food that you're eating. Um, it's, it's just not real food. And, you know, to quote Michael Pollan, it's a, it's a food like substance. <laughs> and, and so, you know, we've gotten so used to this and I, I feel that, you know, the changes I've personally made and the changes people I train with have, have made is that when people are eating real food, their performance is just a lot more optimal. You know, they're going to farmer's markets. They're, you know, picking up, you know, even if they don't have time, they might go to the salad bar at Whole Foods. Um, There's a whole slew of places, especially in New York, to be able to eat well. Um, And I I think that, I think that's really important, particularly as an athlete, um, to be able to have a constant flow of food, um, you know, I think you can't starve yourself for any length of time. That's not to say, you know, talking about intermittent fasting, that's something completely different. Um, but, you know, having a steady stream of good quality food throughout the day, you know, to keep yourself, I mean, it's like, a, you know, a car. I mean, you can't really run a car and empty. Um, sure, sure. And, you know, <clears throat> wanting to control your diet when you're in a training situation, control, you know, your macronutrients, how much protein and fat. But also, actually, the ingredients, and to your point, any processed food is not really great because you then lose the control of of what you're eating. You can't control your salt or your fats or your seasonings or even any things like that. So even going back to, like, cooking for yourself and whole foods and real foods allows you to have a a far greater degree of control over over what you're eating. And also, you know, if, if you're not feeling well and you're not working well and your body's not working well, but you're sort of letting some corporate processed food giant make your nutritional decisions for you, I kind of got no sympathy, you know? I mean, Chris, how do you counsel your athletes? Well, 
it goes back to the the saying i might be messing it up a little but if it ain't broke don't try to fix it right like we've been eating real food for thousands of years like i don't understand why you know like you're saying the cor- you know the corporate industry is trying to make everything more efficient and, and you know profitable like all right i get profit and i get efficient but Food has worked. Like, why are we trying to change? That's an you know, excellent the- point, Chris, yeah. which I, <laughs> you know, we have like thousands of hours of, of food programming and conversation here, but I think I, I've never heard someone say it quite so simply and specifically like foods worked for thousands of years <laughs> you know i it's mean it's because no one was trying to make a profit off of it a thousand years ago exactly and <laughs> and protein shakes didn't exist during you know the building of the pyramids i guess i don't know <laughs> but yeah I, I just i really don't get it and you know obviously you know as individuals we all battle it because it's always around us you know and we have to you know do our best to, to get real food i i try to tell you know our young fighters especially our young guys like the the kids like the 18 and unders like stay away from anything that's in a box in a bag or or a can you know like that stuff is is not real it's processed and it's not going to make you you know or help you perform to the best of your ability and you know going back to i guess timing like the three things that I try to tell our guys, you know, as fighters or even just not, even if you're not fighting, like uh, the the general fitness population in our gym, you know, it's all about portions, timing and, and combinations of your, you know, macros and your, you know, carb, you know, your macronutrients. So I, I don't understand the the way f- where food is going and how it's being, you know, you know, evolved. Well, I'm curious, you know, as a as a gym owner, I can imagine you're somewhat inundated with people who want to put products in your gym, bars, powders, drinks, gels, vending machine. Yeah. So, I mean, what and you see that, too. I mean, obviously, there's a long history of professional athletes uh, endorsing products um, or consuming products. How do you kind of deal with or evaluate those things? Or do you just have a quick, like a, a no-go policy? Yeah, it's a simple, you know, it's a simple thing, right? We, you know, these guys or gals come in and they want to offer us these free, but we're like, no, sorry, we have a stack of water and that's about it. You know, I mean, we don't have a, a vending machine. Like, you know, you know, there's companies that come in offering us these energy drinks, like cases of them. And we're like, sorry, I mean, we're not, we're not providing our members with this option. And once that option isn't there, then you have no. And people are okay with just water, yeah, (laughs) and still training great, and still qualified, talented athletes. I mean, (laughs) we we have no control over what they do outside of the gym or what they're sneaking in their bags into the gym. You know what I'm saying? But you know, I mean, wait, can I go back to what Chris said? I don't think there was any Gatorade when they built the pyramids either. (laughs) I think they probably just had water. Yeah, they had clear water. Nothing was blue or red or orange or green. Well, I, I have seen fruit at your gym on the front desk. And I think it's also a, a good point to make is, you know, we're having a conversation as grown-ups and adults who go to the store ourselves and make our own food choices. Chris, you have a, a real uh, community membership at your gym out in the Rockaways. So you have families and you also have little kids. I mean, you talk about 18 and under, but I've seen adorable little Muay Thai babies, like, you know, five and six-year-olds. So you're also... You know, how important is it for you to teach them as athletes, but also are you setting a foundation for what they're going to do maybe for life? 
oh, we're, we're doing our best. Like, you know, there was a kid, you know, he was about, no, oh, he's, he's 13, and he was standing outside the gym a few weeks ago, and I happened to be walking around the corner, and he was munching on a bag of Cheetos. And, and I looked at him, I was like, you're going to... You know, dun, dun, dun. Yeah, you know, <laughs> nothing against the Cheeto company or you know anything, but um, you know, I, and I had to bust his chops. I had to be like, look, that's not going to help you. You're going to feel sick, and you know, you know, I, I told him, next time you come come in for training, I'm going to buy you a banana. That'll be better for you. That you'll feel a lot more energized. You'll have some natural sugar. You know, I didn't, I didn't tell him about natural sugar. A 13 year old doesn't care about natural sugar, but I told him you'll feel better. I get rid of these Cheetos and yeah, I, I do my best. I mean, can we fix everybody? No, but we can keep dropping seeds and hopefully they grow in, you know, into big plants of, of knowledge, right? So for the ladies, for Dana and Aaron, both of you are, you know, professional chefs. You both worked at Gramercy Tavern at different times. <laughs> um, for example. Um, so you know about food and to what you were saying before, Aaron, you, you know a lot about food and food is your life. But when it came into the context of training, you learned some new things. So what were some of the uh, the big learnings that you both had? And then because you do have food knowledge about how to cook and shop and prepare things, how did that translate into what you were doing, you know, every day or what kind of lunch you were making for yourself? So that may be. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think when I was uh, working in restaurant kitchens, obviously you're you're producing food. Another type of endurance sport. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> On your feet, fourteen hours a day, no bathroom breaks. Which in With a fire weird... and sharp objects. Yeah, really bet... hot and sweaty, little bumping and and, little it, and you bumping eat, and pounds. You eat actually really poorly. I predominantly like it, chefs in pr- professional kitchens. Like my, uh, I was like, what can I eat? Out of a quirk container over a garbage can <laughs> that is enough calories and protein to get me through service that I don't have to do a lot of work chewing because I don't have time. And then <laughs> no time to chew. Ouch. Yeah, throughout Ouch. the evening, it's no joke. And I'm not. Oh, no I'm joke. not. I'm like literally not exaggerating like that. I was like Soylent, a version of some type of Soylent was like kind of a thing you were looking for as a restaurant cook because the other thing is you're not wanting to really eat eat because you you have to protect your palate because you're going to be tasting every dish you make every component of every dish you make for the six eight hours of service so you also you know you want to keep that area as like free as possible so it you know that's like so that and then to the food that you're making for customers obviously there's a real primacy on uh kind of taste and it's an indulgent meal it's a pleasure-oriented meal which is different than like how you're going to be eating food on a on a day to day basis and like transitioning into um, cooking for yourself at home. I think for myself, really uh, one simplifying the the meals I was putting together. I think uh, most for me mostly was timing. It was like I really needed to make sure that I was eating um, a couple of hours before I was training, and then I ate something right after I was training and. And that those things were pretty, like, a simple kind of uh, protein and, and carbohydrate mix. And, like, being careful about uh, fats. Like, I have a tendency to cook with a lot of fats. Mm. Uh, uh, a lot of avocado, lots of oils, uh, lots of butter. And I found that I just couldn't, like, I didn't feel that great. So, for me, it was, like, reducing those things. and But mostly it was, it was timing and being super careful about eating right you know, right after and a few hours before. 
because otherwise I would find I'd get into get on the mat and I'm just like just didn't feel that good. Yeah. Or if you're not fully digested, you know, and you're in a combat sport, you're going to take something to the gut or yeah. in jujitsu, you know, someone's going to lay on top of you, you know, in your round. It's like, you, you kind of don't want to have anything sitting in there. Either. Yeah. No, not at all. Much. Yeah. And then also staying hydrated, uh, especially as you came in, uh, came into the summer months, it's just like drinking enough water again. So it, literally just paying more attention to like when I felt good and when I didn't and tracing that back to what I had or hadn't eaten or had to drink. Well, and did you find, you know, I was really surprised and I didn't think about this um, until I really started implementing this idea that, you know, I'm cutting 17 pounds over seven weeks, which really is a weight loss, not cutting. Right. But, uh, you know, I didn't realize how much I was tasting at work, you know, in, in quotations, tasting. I mean, if I were cooking for my boss's kids and making them pasta, I was making a pound of pasta and... When I stopped eating the pasta myself, I realized there was still like three quarters of a pound left. What's what the drop off rate like, during the process? One bite, two bites. Oh, that's good. Let me taste it again. Um, but and then when you want to make sure, you just yeah, yeah and, exactly. And, and I knew that when I was going to work, you know, I actually had to plan my meals, and I got to a point where I was tasting, and I mean, actually like spitting the food out out of sight, you know, just to be able to taste it for the flavor, like a wine taster. Exactly, wow. exactly, like a wine wow. taster. Um, and then when it came to at home, you know, I mean, I did a lot of things, you know, like overnight oats, you know, with lots of grains and seeds and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, making sure that I was shopping for myself, because that's really the hardest part of, of trying to keep a sort of diet and exercise program. Uh, just being prepared. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would like, li- and I think, I, I really think we've done a disservice in the food community. I think there's a real language around, oh, like cooking is just easy, buy good ingredients. And it's, and I think there's like some And they're going to cook themselves. Yeah. And I, I do think there, there's like also some weird gender stuff in there that like the way we value cooking and cooking skills because i'm like i have years of professional training and so there's so much of it that i don't even have to think about it's a motor program but i still put a lot of work into it um i you know planning planning menus shopping having containers around to to store stuff in it's it's something that i think you have to be super intentional about it it just it doesn't happen without the effort um of of like you know, making a plan for it. Mm-hmm. It's got to be a, a priority. So when you talk about timing, you talked about before training to obviously have the energy to get through what you need to get through. And then you talked about after. And something that I find that we don't really talk about at all or as much is we don't talk about rest and recovery. And I think it's completely underrated, but so important. And I find that when I finish training, if I don't have some protein and carbs very immediately after I will be tired for the next 24 hours so somebody talk about what happens in that window right when you finish training and how it's not just about uh you know what what the recovery thing is because also these are combat sports so people are getting you know kicked and punched and choked and torqued and twisted you're getting injured food is going to help your body recover also I use the analogy with our students and our fighters that your your body, your muscles, your ligaments, your tendons, they're all like sponges. And when you're training, you're wrenching out every single you know, drop of water and, and nutrient out of it. So 
when you're done with training, you're you're a dry sponge, right? So now you want to replenish that sponge with, you know, your proteins, your good fats, and, and your carbohydrates. And yeah, I mean, recovery. I like I like to tell our our guys too that you're you're not getting stronger during the training session. You know, yeah, all right, you're you're kicking the pads, you're you're doing front rolls, and you're practicing arm bars, but you're getting stronger in your recovery. You know, especially guys that like to lift weights, like you're not getting actually stronger during that last rep. You're getting stronger as your body's recovering from that last rep where you tore muscle down and and now you have to replenish it with, you know, real food. So, yeah, I I agree. Like the recovery is definitely um, not as important to most people. They just just figure, I'm just going to work out, bust my ass in the gym and, uh, you know, uh, that's it. And then they're not focused on on the the return. What do you, I think one of the things I'd love to touch on too is um, being able to age in a sport, especially aging in a in a combat sport. Is um, again looking at kind of food, looking at recovery, looking at like what are the things that are going to let you practice and um, you know have fun in this space. In, into it, it's not not yoga, mm-hmm. you know. There's not, you know, and too when you like look around the gym, I think it's like you know, it's nice to see like a wide range of age, ages. But like, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about just just how that might change or, or what you see as far as being able to do the thing that you love to do for for longer and the role that diet and recovery, you know, planning can play in that. I, I think recovery is really important. I mean, I'm I'm 40 now. Uh, I remember having a conversation with Jen several years ago in the locker room. I didn't know how old Jen was. Uh, she looks about 15 years younger than she actually is. <laughs> and, um, you know, I thought, God, you know, why did I start jujitsu at 36? You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I love I'm, to listen to all the baby girls <laughs> complain about how I'm so old and I'm so tired and I'm so this and I'm so that. And I'm like, girly, I got pants older than you. <laughs> and I looked at Jenna, I was like, okay, Dana, stop, stop complaining. But, um, you know, I, I, but I do have to say, you know, when I first started training jujitsu, I loved it so much because I could eat whatever I wanted, you know, and, and not really have to worry about my weight, you know, and then as I started getting into it a little bit more and getting a little bit more competitive, I was finding that what I was eating was really, um, impacting how I felt and how much energy I had. And, um, and I've even noticed like, you know, just changes in my, in my skin and things like that since I've changed my diet away from the tremendous amount of junk food that I was eating because I could just burn it off. Um, and so I think as you get older, you really do have to think about, first of all, what you're putting into your body. Um, and then, you know, the level at which you're, you're competing. I mean, I don't, I don't really compete anymore. Um, and when I'm training jiu-jitsu, it's probably three, four times a week now. And I'm now supplementing it with, you know, other things like Pilates or just, you know, strength and conditioning, going to the gym. Uh, I'll be doing my first uh, Peloton cycle class tomorrow. Nice. Uh, <laughs> hopefully I don't die. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I, I think, um, you know, it gets to a point, especially when you're competing, your mind gets so into it, you know, and, and you forget that you're getting older and you forget that you're damaging your body. So at some point you, you kind of have to take a little step back and say, okay, you know, what is my longevity? If I really want to enjoy this, this sport or this art for the rest of my life, what are the changes that I need to make? And I think, a really major portion of it, you know, as you guys are saying, the, the, the dry sponge thing. I mean, you know, do you want to fill your sponge up with, you know, Coca-Cola or do you want to fill it up with, uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to shout out those names, but, um, so <laughs> no, I should okay. say soda. Okay. 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 <laughs> yeah, that, we're, we're, we're okay with that. Okay. We're not trying to demonize anybody, but nobody really needs that much. Sugar. But Coca-Cola. But Coca-Cola. <laughs> or Pepsi or, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> you know, so it's, you know, what are, what are you rehydrating that sponge with? 
And so if you're hydrating it with a, a good quality ingredient, then it's just going to have a much longer performance, in my opinion. I agree. <laughs> well, you're not a competitive Muay Thai fighter anymore, but you do still get in the ring and you train and you do all of your, you know, fitness and running and paddleboarding and you train your fighters and you're pretty active. Yeah, I, I retired in 2011 and yeah, th- things have changed. Like I don't w- when you were competitive when I was competitively fighting, you know, to train you'd kill yourself. I mean, literally mm-hmm. you'd you'd work to the point of death. And, but now, you know, I, I like to do it for fun. It wasn't so much fun back then either, but now, you know, training is more fun. You know, I still get in in the ring with the fighters and, you know, obviously holding pads is pretty, you know, strenuous depending on who you're working with. But now it's it, it's not so it's not so work oriented, meaning like now I do this because I love to do it. But now I need to know that I'm, I'm training smarter and I'm, I'm more focused on my recovery as I get older. I'm, you know, I'm 42 and and my body doesn't react the way it did when I was 22. You know, 20 years ago, it was, you know, you could like I was telling um Aaron before like you you can have a two hour training session and I'd go eat eight slices of pizza right after training and I'd be fine with it and and it it would work right but now you know now I'm like you know making sure that I I get something a little bit cleaner in my body and I'm getting a little more rest and if I don't feel great one day as far as my own training I'll take a break you know Mm -hmm. I won't I won't pressure myself and say oh you know, I got obviously I don't have a fight coming up. I mean, just the fight of life. But, you know, I, I want to make sure that, you know, I can recover and, and get back on track. I did heard hear you mention not too long ago that you were thinking about a potential exhibition match coming up soon with one of your old arch nemesis now friend in the ring. I think that was. Are you going to do an exhibition match? I think up? that was more just you know locker room talk. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was about to I sell be, tickets. I would, <laughs> I, would be, I would be. I would be excited to see you fight. I've I've only seen Chris fight on YouTube, so it would be exciting to see him fight in real life. You want to see the real fight? Me rolling out of bed in the morning and trying to walk through. That's well, the real fight. You have a, your Chris's partner in business and life. Um, his wife Sarah. She mans a lot of their social media. And there's a really great portion of their Instagram feed, which is her taking pictures of you sleeping (laughs) (laughs) in the office at the computer on the ferry coming into New York, sort of just like the spontaneous naps. And she has they're they're really they're very, very charming where she's kind of like photobombing you while you're taking a nap. I call that recovery. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you don't get to recover just once a day no. <laughs> so we're, we're really running out of time but I want to um, I want to give everyone a chance to kind of go around the room and, and uh, I like to leave people with something uh, a piece of advice that's maybe actionable that they can use in, in their life we've touched on so many things here Let's go around the room and then all of you tell us, like, what's the most important thing you think you can share with folks, the best piece of advice you can give them about using their food in a functional way to really be fit to meet, like, whatever their goal is? Um, I think, you know, number one, eat real food. That's that's number one. Um, And listen to your body, you know, but don't listen to your body in the sense of I want a potato chip or I want a piece of cake. You know, if you need something a little sweet, have some fruit. You know, if, if you if, if you're hungry, eat, but make sure you're actually hungry, not just sitting around bored. OK, Aaron. Um, 
I would, you know, obviously echo what, what Dana said, but also I think um, it should be fun. Like the, the sport you're practicing, the thing you're training out, you know, if you hate doing it, it's probably not the right thing for you. So um, I think when the thing that you're pursuing is like fun and exciting and, and I found for myself, like I wanted to get better at it. I made eating, it made it easier to prioritize eating well versus eating, you know, potato chips because it was really fun. So I think it, it shouldn't necessarily have to feel like a ton of, the sport shouldn't have to necessarily feel like a ton of work. There's lots of things out there, communities, ways to be um, combat sports or otherwise. But I think if it's fun, you'll be surprised that energy loop is really kind of feeds itself. That's, that's a great, great piece of advice. Um, and I think it's good advice for life in general, not just whatever your sport is. I mean, if you find yourself engaged in something that you really dig, then everything gets easier. Totally. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. I, I, just like the choices. You're like, I want to, not like I have to. Right. Mm-hmm. Except I when like you're in that. fight camp and then you're training to the death and then it kind of <laughs> sucks, but you still like yeah, it. Yeah, most, of, most, most people of aren't going to be doing fun, that anyway. <laughs> even though it's terrible. There's an ounce of love in that. <laughs> Chris, what's your best advice to folks? I would say the one simple thing that you could do as far as like the way you're eating and and whether you're trying to be a fitness, you know, enthusiast or a combat athlete, reverse what you've been doing for years. Like we've all we all grew up, you know, barely eating breakfast and then waiting to our our last meal where we stuffed our faces and then went right to sleep. Reverse that. Make breakfast like I, I always eat breakfast so have breakfast as your biggest meal of the day and then throughout the day your meals get progressively smaller where you're you know you're barely eating anything right before you go to bed because that's where you know people tend to you know make their you know their their worst decisions I guess is the best way to say it. so reverse the way you know you've been doing things for years eat a eat a breakfast a good healthy breakfast and, and don't don't gorge before you close your eyes so if I want that big plate of like pasta, I can have it at for you know, nine a.m. Yeah. What is that? Uh, what is that have saying? I think it's breakfast. it's breakfast like a king, lunch like a prince, and dinner yeah, like, like a pauper. Yeah, there you right. go. Yeah. There you go. And can I just say one last thing? Is um, you know, I, I don't think people should beat them out, themselves up too much over food choices as well. You know, like one it bad meal be fun isn't gonna too. yeah, one bad <laughs> meal is not gonna make you unhealthy. One good meal is not gonna make you healthy. So, you know, I, I think it's a lot of it's about balance. And, you know, I love the cheat day. I love eating clean, you know, all week and then having a cheat day where I can have whatever I want. You know, I mean, you can't completely deprive yourself, but. No, because food's one of the best things about life. Yeah. We're literally in a pizza restaurant. Watching people. We are. No, that as soon as this show drops we will be going to eat pizza. <laughs> yes. i've already spoken to chris one of the pastry one of the pizza chefs who's you know working the ovens now fire up that famous original with pepperoni and a side of ranch dressing so do as do as we say not as we do right? hey i'm gonna ch- um, but i'm gonna go and train for two hours right, tonight okay, so right. i actually have a protein carb load nice. as my lunch okay. because i'm gonna need a lot of energy to get through nice. my no gi jiu-jitsu class nice. and then an hour of technical muay thai nice right. perfect i'm gonna go break somebody's arm and then kick somebody in the face <laughs> only way to end the day i'm a nice lady this is why we don't want to see her hungry <laughs> so i want to really thank everybody for coming out and sharing their experience and knowledge if you want 
to hear more and learn more and see more from these people, let me tell you how to get in touch with them. We have Dana Menuda, private chef, competitive Brazilian <laughs> jiu-jitsu. You can find her on Instagram at Chef Dana, D-A-N-A, Minuta, M-I-N-U-T-A. Chris Krom Romulo. He's got a lot of places you can find him. His website is chrisromulo, R-O-M-U-L-O dot com. He's just published a great autobiography, which is an amazing story about himself. But also, if you're into Muay Thai in New York City, it is the best history of the sport in the city that I've Thank read you. thus far. You can, you. It's called Champions Uprising. You can get it on Amazon. If you want to go train with him and have him be your coach, I've been trying to make it out to Rockaway so I can train with him and have him coach me for a day. <laughs> you can go to Crom, C-R-O-M-P-C dot com. That's Crom Physical Culture. That is his gym in Rockaway. They have fitness. They have CrossFit. They have Muay Thai. They have kids programs, adult programs, one-day programs, basically everything you could possibly want. And they're like two blocks away from the beach. So you could go get a workout and then go have a swim. And then have a taco. <laughs> nutrition. It sounds like a perfect nutrition. day, though. Sounds yes. like it yeah. sounds like it's shaping up to be my perfect day. Yes. So Sunday, <laughs> exactly. Uh, maybe maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll do a, a B side Muay Thai meetup in Rockaway at some point this summer. Or we can get some stand up paddle boarding going. If exactly. Exactly. I'm in. I'm exactly. In. Uh, I used to no, race. Not, oh wow! Nice. If, oh, I'm not racing though. <laughs> I'm just chilling. <laughs> if you want to hear more from Erin Fairbanks, she is on Instagram, Erin underscore Fairbanks F-A-I-R-B-A-N-K-S you can also find her on her website BeKindBeFierce.com if you're a lady you might want to check out her ladies night events and organization there's a lot of great stuff happening there and Tech Bites you can find us on social media at Tech Bites HRN you can email us techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org you can find us on iTunes Stitcher Radio and your favorite podcasting platform if you love the show, if you love real food talk, go to heritageradionetwork.org, click on the beating heart, throw us what you spent on pizza this week, <laughs> become a member, we can make more radio, and we will love you forever. I'm Jennifer Leutzi with Aaron Fairbanks. Thanks a lot, guys. This is the B-Side. <laughs> for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>